This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, welcome to a new series called Journey of Life. Now, this series is based on a sefer called Archas Yesher from Reb Chaim Kanievsky, Zatzal. And this sefer is not a new sefer. It's a sefer which has been out for many years. As a bachar, I actually picked up the sefer. And I, I used to read it. And Rav Chaim Kinevsky is known for his brevity in, you know, in his writings. And in fact, this Sefer is like a very thick Sefer. And they translate it to English and they have a lot of stories. But in reality, the original Sefer is a very, very thin, thin Sefer. It's not very long. Each mimer, each concept is really maybe one page long, the whole thing. And it's a very interesting Sefer in that it's based on the Aleph phase. And on each letter of Chaim goes through one topic which corresponds to that letter. Now, we here on Torah Anytime and here in this room have gone through um, some of these concepts in different series. And therefore, the ones that he talks about that are redundant, we're going to jump over. So tonight, we're going to actually start with Bez because Aleph, he talks about MS and he, he focuses on MS, which we already covered in Journey of Midos. And therefore, for this series, we're not going to go through the whole Aleph Bez. We're going to jump around a little bit but it's going to be based on the Sefer called Archas Yesher from Rechaim Knievsky. Good? Kosher? Great. Okay, so the first idea he talks about is MS. We're going to put that on the side. But the next idea, I think it's a very appropriate idea for just beginning the series, is Bayes. He calls Bittel Tyra and Bittel Zman. So I recognize that we're not all here um, men, right? Very few men in this room. And we're therefore not going to, you know, specify, you know, Rechaim's um, Mahalach of talking about Bittal Taira because it's going to probably be like the biggest waste of a half hour of your life. So we're going to expand this out and make this multi-cultural um, and we're going to include, you know, what I would consider sort of like the concept of Bittalzman, which is not just Bittal Taira, but Bittal, Bittal, of life. And the first idea that he talks about is really based on the first Pasuk in really the first Parak of Tehillim, which says, Uvamayshav Leitzim Layashav. And one of the worst things that a person could do for life is not take life seriously, is go through life and fail to recognize that Hashem has allocated to each one of us, and we don't know how much time it is, but Hashem has allocated to each one of us a certain amount of time on this planet. If we want to get really deep, Hashem has allocated to us a certain amount of words that we get to speak throughout our life and a certain amount of opportunities that we have in our life. But let's just talk about life itself. We've been given, each one of us, a certain amount of life. And that life, from the day you're born starts going backwards. The, the clock is ticking. And the first thing that he talks about is that if a person wants to maximum, maximize their life, if you want to live your life in its fullest, then you got to take life seriously. You have to look at the days that you have and you have to make your days count. You have to look at yourself and say to yourself, what, what do I have in a day of 24 hours? How do I spend my life? What do I do with my time? If you're a man and it's focused on Bittal Taira, that's fine. If you're meaning the fact that you have a, you need to have a chavrusa and you have to have you know all that, it's fine. But I want to actually expand this to a much broader, broader context. We're all familiar. The idea it's really brought down by Abu Draham and many others that one of the reasons why women are potter from all mitzvahs aseish as magrama here sit, sit here and there, yeah, is why, yeah, good, yeah. Um, one of the reasons why women are potter from mitzvahs aseish as magrama is because why. Anybody know? Anybody Jewish? Why Why do women not have to... Why? Because you're taking care of kids, right? You're taking care of your family and you're doing things which are essentially not bound by time. So your child may get up at a time that's inopportune and therefore it's harder for a woman to be tied down to 
Save some on Kriyashman, save some on Tefillah, and, and all those other things, because somebody, right, needs to do that. There's other reasons as well, by the way, just to um, pacify everybody who doesn't like that answer, is also because women are built in with a Wi-Fi that connects them much closer to Hashem, whereas men are not so much, and therefore we have to put on our tefillin, which is our connection, and we have to be more grounded, because we're usually not as grounded, and therefore men have a lot more of a vayda to do, whereas women, it's much more intuitive, and therefore women are better than men, and um, everybody, everybody could clap and you're all very excited for that idea. Okay. So that, but, but the general idea is that you have things going on in your life, which are perhaps not there. But what I find is that because people oftentimes say, well, I'm not high up to do this or I don't have to do this and forget learning Tyra for just a second, just, just, just life itself, like a structure to life. Therefore, since they're like, they don't have to, they don't have that same accountability towards doing it. And the first idea is a simple idea, is that if you think about the idea of a let's, a let's is somebody who spins their wheels on doing something which is not productive. They're, they're doing something which is just simply not productive. And Rechaim says, if a person wants to live their life to the max, you have to look at your day and say to yourself, when I go to sleep at night, can I account for 24 hours, for the last 24 hours? Now, you might say to yourself, wait a minute, but I have to sleep, and what about my social life? And we'll get there in a minute. But first, we have to understand that the mahalach of life and this is really a mahalach that I think works in many areas, including Amuna and Heshtablus, that balance where you have a pedal to the metal approach. We're going to ease off the pedal in a second. But the first is a pedal to the metal approach that you got to do it 100%. And he quotes the Vilna Gaon. And the Vilna Gaon says that the same way that after 120 years, a person who has a real relationship with Hashem, which we spoke about, let's say the idea of Shabbos. On Shabbos, you can feel a certain connection where you have no distractions Right? You ever sitting like in a kumzitz, even if it's a, like a lady's kumzitz, you know, like you're sitting in a you have like a certain feeling where you're like, wow, there's, there's something here. There's something real. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you hear certain words or certain tefillas, or it may be on, 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 on Purim or Hanukkah or Sukkot or Simchas Taira, and you have that feeling. That feeling is a glimpse. It's a glimmer of a feeling that you can get for Nitzki, for all eternity in the world to come. So the Gras says the same way that a person can feel certain feelings, the amount of productivity that a person puts into their life, your neshama, once it's free from your body, will, will enjoy that same level of productivity. I'm saying here a very profound thing. If a person lives their life without productivity, that their days are just spinning their wheels with no purpose. So if you think about it, the person's neshama is like, what now? Like, where do I go? What, what do I see? It's almost like they're walking around the world that they can't grasp, they can't feel, they can't understand. Because to them, those feelings are so distant from them. Now in this world, you have the ability to feel the feeling. And then when a person passes on, they then feel those feelings for a very long time. If a person is productive in this world, if a person puts in the effort to be productive in this world, it's almost like your neshama now has legs in, in the world to come. Your neshama now has eyes in the world to come. Your neshama has ears. It has a heart. It has a brain. It's able to function in the world to come. But the gras is a person who's not. A person who spends their time on things that are just absolutely nothingness. It's almost like being in solitary confinement. Like they're, they're like trapped. And he called, he says it's on the lowest level of the lowest level of Gehenna. And it's called death. That's what that feeling is. What does that mean? It's almost like being trapped in a box. Just looking at the box for like a million years. It's it just, it's, it's just, it's just insane. You just go crazy. Whereas a person who lives their life with life, the Avram zucking Baba Yamim, Avram at the end came with his days. What does that mean? He made his days count. A person who makes their days count. You can go, you can explore, you can see, you can feel, you can visit. It's literally putting the legs on your future neshama.
It's putting your eyes, putting your ears, able to experience things, but only if you experience things now. If a person doesn't put in the effort to do that, then it just doesn't work. So there's a few stories, and I think it's appropriate in this first class to just put out these stories. A lot of stories of Rechaim are very well known. Still, some of them are, you know, it's like hard to imagine almost that we lived in the same generation as him. Um, before I tell you this story, I'll just tell you an interesting thing. I think it's important to know. Rechaim was very makbed about, about speech. And he, he quotes in this book in the beginning this idea that a person has a limited amount of speech. And therefore, Chaim was very makbed. We, everybody probably knows this, that he wouldn't say bracha v'atzacha. He used to just say to people, bracha v'atzacha. And then he stopped and he just said, bua, 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 bua. When people came to him, they just say, bua, bua, bua. And that was bracha v'atzacha. And he was known that he would say bua. When my shimmy became, um, turned three, and we went there to Stolfer's Upsharon, so it was like such a balagan. The day that we were leaving, we finally got a, a meeting with Rukhaim and like we ran and we, it was like a whole thing. We finally, finally, finally got there and I came into him and I was so beaming. Like, here's my son, Shimi, Shimon, Shimon Baruchai. Like he's named after him. And like we waited for so long. We finally got in. We came in and like we came to Rukhaim and, and Rukhaim said something in, in either Yiddish or Hebrew that I totally didn't understand. And I was expecting like Bua and Bua was fine for me. I was fine with Bua. But he didn't say, well, he said like something. And I turned to somebody and said, what, what did he say? And he said, he said that your son is wearing short sleeve shirt. And he shouldn't wear a short sleeve shirt. He should wear a long sleeve shirt. And I was like, what? Like, we waited all this time. Like, that was what he said. So I said, but could we also have a bracha? So he said, yeah, bracha v'atacha. Like, he said, Bua, but, but like, he made a motion with his hand. Like, he caught that I didn't understand. He was like, yeah, but his, his shirt. So Chaim was known. This is an important nakuda here. You hear so many stories of Rebbe that like he would say things and, and we'll talk about a lot of these stories in the future weeks. But one thing about him was that he, he felt that brachas are not free. That a person has to like take something on, which is why when most people came to him for things, he would say, put on a beard or, or learn this masechta. He would always tell them to do something. If they were looking for like a real bracha, he would say, make sure you're makbed on this or that. It was never free. It wasn't free. It was that a person has to go and they have to like actually put in like work. And and one of the stories that's brought down here is that somebody came to him that his, his son should become Tamachacham. And he said, ah, brachas don't work. He said, he wants to become a Tamachacham, time. The only thing for that is time. You put in the time, it'll work. You don't put in the time, life is not free. And that was really the motto how he lived his life. So there was a man who was Rechaim's age, and they asked him if he knew Rechaim, you know, from when he was younger. And he said, I used to sit right next to him in yeshiva. And they said, ah, oh, tell us what was it like sitting next to the stipler's son, Rav Chaim. And he said, the truth is, regular guy, nothing special. He was a regular guy, regular, regular everything, nothing special about him. He said, the only thing that was special, like when we were younger, was that he always used to say that the stipler told me, like my father told me, that you shouldn't waste any time. That was the only thing he said, just make sure your time is maximized. And therefore, Chaim was very makbid that even like he would eat lunch, he would go, he would eat lunch, then he would go back to the base madrash. And then he had his regular sadarm. He always made sure that whatever was going on, he was like, he became obviously a tremendous masmid, but it started with that one idea. And he said, and then it was only like after a few years that we started hearing like, this man knows Bavli by heart, this man knows, you know, Yushami by heart. Every year he makes a CMS, like not just on Shas, but Kalatei Kula. Like he, he does everything. And I, I once, I recently saw a, a handwritten letter of Reb Chaim, what he considered Kalatei Rukula. was not simply Shas. It was every single Medrash and every Sifra and every Sifri, books that you never heard of in your life, okay, that he was reading through the entire book, the entire, every single year for however many years, 80, 90 years. The things you can't even fathom, you can't even begin to imagine. 
But it all started with one concept, one idea, which was time. And if you know Rechaim's story, the stipler, his father, was actually very concerned about him. And he felt that his derech is maybe not the same as others, and he's just learning through things very, very quickly. I mean, he's learning through it quickly a lot of times, but he felt that, you know, it, maybe it's different than other people, and he went to the Chazanish, who was Rechaim's uncle. And he said, what do we do? And he said, don't worry, he'll, he'll be okay. Like, you know, you don't have to worry about him. He'll, he'll turn out okay. And years later, when Rechaim was dating Revelyasha's daughter, I don't even want to call it dating, but when they basically, when it was, when it was arranged that the two of them were going to get married, so the story goes that Revelyashev took a bus to Bnei Brak, and he came to sit with the stipler. And he said to the stipler, he came, he had like an hour before the bus went back, and the story goes that he was just sitting there, and the two of them were just quiet, and they were just like thinking and learning, you know, for like basically 58 minutes. And then he like looked at, okay, the bus is leaving in two minutes, and he said, he basically said like, he, he's Beseder? Like, is he okay? And he said, yeah, he's Beseder. The Chazanish said it's okay, like he's okay. Okay. Mazel tov. And that was, that was basically their entire first and last date, essentially. Like the two of them after that, you know, it was set up that they went. It started with one thing. And this is, there's one thing I, I want to go on to this Nakuda, which is that not everybody, let me say this better. Nobody will become the next Rechaim Kanievsky. Certainly not in this room. Okay. Rebetzin Kanievsky, maybe. Rebetzin Kanievsky, maybe. But definitely not Rechaim Kanievsky. I think that the key, and I want to talk about this in a minute, is that each one of us sort of has our own callings in life. We go through our lives with, you know, a certain a certain assumption that like your husband learning Kyle and you support him or have a job and so But I, what I find interestingly is that as we go through life, we we come out of a in, in my perspective almost like a cookie cutter system where like the system puts out, this is what's going to be, this is what's going to be, this is going to be. And then it's only like once we sort of get into like that big ocean called the world where we sort of like find our calling and find our thing. And as you're visualizing this idea of like maximizing your time, you know, it, it's not about you sitting and learning a Gemara. And it's not about you sitting and saying to him and becoming the next Rebetzin Bacheva Kanievsky. But in whatever way to you is meaningful, in whatever way to you is like, I've maximized my day. I've done something that like Hashem and people would be proud of. That is the thing that I, 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 would, I would hope that you would internalize. Like put that into your mind. When I'm accounting, as I put my head on the pillow at night and I say Shema and I say to myself, how did the last 24 hours go for me? Just ask yourself that one question. How did the last 24 hours go for me? And if there's a lot of time in there that's just unaccounted for or just not sure where it's going or what's happening, then you may want to start focusing on on minimizing that one thing. Now, it might sound overwhelming. Like, what does that mean? I'm living my life and I'm going through like pe- pedal to the metal, but how do I breathe? And Rechaim addresses this and he, he quotes something which I think is very cute. It says in the Mishnah that there's 48 ways that a person is kind of Tyra. And when I say Tyra, I don't necessarily only refer to Tyra as learning Tyra, but I'm going to say life. 48 ways that a person acquires life, Chachma, wisdom, accomplishment. 48 ways. And one of those ways is called miot sicha. And the classic understanding of that is that the person speaks a little bit. That you, that you don't speak so much. Meaning instead of like talking a lot, that you talk a little. And Rechaim says, no, that's not what it means. It means that you dafka talk a little bit. What does that mean? It means if a person's going to live pedal to the metal with no breaks, with no social life, with no family, you're going to burn out. You're going to snap. You're not going to be able to live a fully productive life if your entire life is just simply pedal to the metal. 
A person has to live their life pedal to the metal and then you ease off. The same way you drive a car. You push the gas down and then like you ease off and then the car, it, it goes. It goes. It's smooth. There's a smooth ride over here. And if a person lives their life where you know that your day is accounted for, but at the same time, you needed a break, you needed to go for a walk, you needed to call your friend, you needed to socialize, all great. It's all wonderful. That's, all, that's also part of your, your growth. Taking a vacation, you know, all, every Rav, Rebbe, Rosh Hashiva, all of them, they always take breaks. After Yom Narayim, Switzerland is like filled with, with, you know, with people going there. Why? Because that's part of their Avaida as well. Part of the Avaida is that they don't burn out, is that they're able to spend the time helping other people. I can tell you how many times in my own personal life I felt that I was like getting towards an edge of, 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 like, of like falling apart, of like collapsing. And part of your brain is like, but if you don't answer the phone, if you don't take the meeting, if you don't do this thing, and I can't tell you how many times I've called my Rebbe and they're like, you have a chiv to not answer your phone. You must turn off your phone. Part of turning off your phone is picking up your phone. If you, don't, if you don't turn off your phone, you're not going to be there for the next person who needs you because you're going to be falling apart. If you're living your whole life with such an intensity where it's too much for you, where you're going to be burning out, then that's not going to be helpful for you either. Okay? So that's, that's that idea. I have a, a good friend who's very, very successful in business. And I have on my phone um, an, an app. It's um, Google Notes. Google Notes? Google Keep. There we go. Google Keep. Thank you. Okay. And Google Keep is where I keep my notes of like different things. A lot of times I have conversations with very wise people and like I'll jot it down and it's my way of like, you know, sometimes I'll have like an idea for a class and I'll write it down. So I have like class ideas and conversation with this guy or that guy or whatever the case may be. And I have one file, which is, it's called like business ideas. Like whenever I meet somebody who's very successful in business, I'm like, how'd you do this? Like share, share, share something with me. And I find like different people have different, you know, things in their repertoire. Like I, I built my company this way or I did this this way. And there's one person very successful that I call upon sometimes or I meet him and I'm like sitting there and I'm like, hey, let's just move for two minutes. Like share something with me. And then I like jot down like a one liner or something that like just helps me remember. And there's one thing that he shared with me, which I thought was very profound. He told me that he once had a guy call him up that this guy was starting a, a pizza shop. And this guy went into the, into the line and he was making pizza and whatever. And he said that like he noticed after a long time that it just, it wasn't working. Like he was making pizza, but like for some reason he felt like he was like, he was also doing QuickBooks and he was also like at the cash register and he was also making the pizza. Like he was doing like 50 different things. So he said to him, I need some guidance here. Like I have a pizza shop. It's not working. You're like multi-gazillionaire. Help me out. Like, you know, give me some advice. Like, how do I do this different? And he told him very profound words. He said, you need to fire yourself. A lot of the things that you're doing, if you go to sleep at night and I say to you, what did you do? Well, I spent, you know, two hours today on QuickBooks and three hours at the register and four hours flipping dough and three hours kneading dough and all the stuff that you're doing. He said, you need to fire yourself and you need to find within your organizational structure the only thing that you are needed for that other people should not be doing. Very profound. What does that mean? So he said, if you're the guy who's, Italian, heavy set guy with a mustache, and you look like the guy on the front of the pizza box, then you are the face of your company, right? You people walk in, they go, you go, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? You know, like you have like your Italian accent. I'm terrible at accents, right? You, you have your, your Italian accent, right? And and you're you're greeting the people. That is your job. QuickBooks could be done by an 18 year old girl who's fresh out of seminary. She could help you out. It could take somebody else to do the register, and you could have another person, you know, in the back kneading the dough. You need to figure out who you are within your organizational structure, and then you need to fire yourself from all these other jobs. 
And he told me, he said, when he started his company, there's a million fires to be put out. And then he realized that when I'm spending all this time putting out fires, I'm not being me. I'm not being the CEO of the company. I'm being all these other things. So I hire a person to do, to do this, I hire a person to do that, hire a person to do that. And then I'm the person who's driving the boat forward. It was a very profound statement. You have to fire yourself from the things that you are not needed to do in your own organizational structure. And that's a business advice. But within your own life, what are the things within our lives that we need to fire ourselves from? That we're doing and doing and doing and doing. We don't need to do it. Somebody else can do it. Or this is just a waste of time. It's a waste of resources. We've done this again and again and again. What app on our phone do we need to fire and get rid of it and say, this is just, this is just silly. It's just a waste of my time. Again and again and again. If you need that for your mental health for 10 minutes a day, it's a different story. It's part of your growth. It's a way that you're able to tune out and then tune back in. But if you find that it's hours upon hours upon hours a day or during the week, you, you make a cheshbon every seven days, you go, wow, this is, this is crazy. I'm spending you know eight hours a day on YouTube and I'm just sitting there scrolling and scrolling and scrolling on something. Then there's something off. There's something off in your day. You need to fire yourself. You need to fire YouTube. You need to fire TikTok. You need to literally fire yourself. And if you don't fire yourself or you don't fire those apps from yourself, then you're just going to realize after so many years, wow, I went through, I'm 25 years old and I spent two years of my life on TikTok or on YouTube or on some app that's like nothing. Two years, two years, a tremendous amount of time. Whereas if I told you right now, like, you know, I'll give you a, a present that you can learn the field that you're in for two years, uninterrupted, straight. You could just sit down. Let's say, let's say you're in accounting. So, right. You can literally just sit and like go through school and testing and everything for two years straight uninterrupted. I'll give you that matana. Like I'll pump it into your veins. You'd be like, amazing. In two years from now, I'll be so much smarter, so much wiser. I'll have the experience, the knowledge. But like we throw that time away in little itty bitty pieces throughout the course of our day. And if a person aggregates all that time that is spent thrown away, that time doesn't come back to you here and then it's gone and it's something which is really important so i want to focus on one specific part of this which i think is that every single person really essentially has their own calling and their own life and as you branch into the world you find your own thing right one person will join tensors another person will join high lifeline another person you know the person who's dancing on tables at at some event is not necessarily the same person who's driving a cancer patient to their treatments it's two separately totally different brains it's different, like you're hardwired completely differently. It's incumbent upon each person, though, to look through their day and find the things that give them meaning, give them drive, that give them satisfaction, that gives them pleasure, that they're able to say to themselves, I got up in the morning and nobody had to wake me up because this Almana, who's now like she's sick, she needed to be picked up at 6 a.m. I'm there for her. And that's my calling. And that's like, she's coming to bat for me. Like, there's no question. Those, those opportunities that present itself throughout our day, if we, if we seize them, if we grab them, it might be totally different than your friend who's dancing on a table for some boy who's going through treatments. You know, you're not a dancer and they're not a driver. You find your thing. And whatever that thing is, it could be that you're there for people and you listen to them. It could be that you're able to give good advice. It could be chesed. It could be literally anything. Find the thing in your life. That pertains either to your family, your community, it could be your job, it could be chesed, it could be chachma, it could even be the skill that you're doing. It could be at this dekufa in your life, you're getting a new degree, or you're putting yourself through college, or whatever the case may be. That thing that gives you that drive, that is that that for that moment, that is your calling. And and the easiest way to find it is the thing that you're actually not struggling with. And if you do that thing that, that you're not struggling with, that's actually keeping you alive, that's giving you life, that you're having that feeling of life. 
If you do that thing consistently, then you start on the, the road to life. You feel life. Life feels alive. If you feel very down and everything feels wrong, it's like when people ask about like they're, they're dating somebody and they go, everything feels wrong, then don't get married, right? Everything's wrong. So you don't know what, something's going on in your mind, in your emotion. This is wrong. In your own life, ask yourself, do I feel alive? Or do I feel like I'm like slowly climbing up like a rocky hill? Like if that's what your life feels like, then you're not alive. You're not, you're not maybe in the right place where you need to be. And I'm not going to say in a cliche way, like if you, if you love the thing you do, you never work a day in your life. That's not what I'm saying. Like that's a very nice cliche thing. Most people, especially in the accounting world, don't love what they do. Okay. But if it's so bad, if it's so, if it's so hard, if the thing that you're doing is like so going uphill, then you're not living life. And if, your day is mundane in the sense that like you're just working, 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 then try to find something afterwards that gives you a seat book, that gives you a calling and then do that thing consistency, consistently. Rav Chaim was known, obviously, for his Hasmada. That's what he was known for. And his Rebetzin, who supported that Hasmada to no end. The story goes that towards the end of his life, he was being bothered by this and that and sort of everything was becoming an emergency. And the Rebetzin asked that a room be built that he can go to and he can learn without interruption. And if I'm not mistaken, there was actually a double door, like a door on the bottom of the steps and then another door on the top of the steps where he was able to learn like without hearing anything that was going on behind the scenes. The story goes was that a guy once came running into the house and he was like, I need to speak to Rechaim Kanievsky right away. And she was like, what's going on? She was sort of like the gatekeeper. And the story actually goes that she said, I don't want a key. I don't want a key to this room because if I have a key, then everyone's going to bother me that I should open it. So she was like, I don't have the key. Sorry, nobody has the key. So I think later she did get the key, but in the beginning, she didn't want it. Anyway, the story goes, this guy comes running in and he's waving some papers and he says, I need to speak to Rechaim Kanievsky. They just found some writings of the Vilna Gaon that nobody's seen, but I just found this in some obscure library somewhere in Europe. They just got it and I want to show it to him so that he could like look at it and give his askama on this and whatever. And she said, um, the rough finishes learning in two hours. If you want to come back then, you could come back in two hours. And she was like, he's like, no, you don't understand. Like maybe because you're a woman, like, you know, like, like you don't understand. Like this is like the villain, the guy's writings. Like nobody in the world has seen it yet. And she was like, he has his Seder and you could come back in two hours. Like I understand very well, like what's a real emergency and what's not. And I think that the key, the key to really anything in life that you're going to become successful at is that there's a consistency and it, it's very unwavering, very unwavering in whatever that thing is doing. So if a person finds that calling, if a person finds that calling, whatever that calling is, you're part of concerts, keep dancing. You're, you're part of, you're a driver, keep driving. Whatever that is. But there's a real consistency to what you're doing. Not like one day here, one day there, one day somewhere else. If you do that consistently, then you actually start to become very proficient in what you're, in what you're doing. You become good at what you're doing. You, you understand when you're dancing on a table, like how to give this person the right smile and how to relate to this person. When you're driving this person in the beginning, you're just driving and then you know the words to say. Like this is what this person wants or this person needs a nap or this person after treatments is feeling this way. You, you start to become much more proficient in what you're doing. And then you start to become great in the area that you specifically become great in. There's a, an awesome story here. I think, I think you'll appreciate the story. I, I found the story amazing. Um, the story goes was that there was two Bachram. They were sitting in the mirror and they were schmoozing in the middle of Seder. And they were like talking. And Reb Nachum Partzavis came in. He was Rosh Hashiva. And Reb Nachum came into the base Medrash and he's walking through the aisle. And these two guys were like talking and then one of them was like, the Rosh Hashiva's here. Like, you know. So so one of the guys without like breaking stride, he goes, ah, Tanarabana, ah, Tanarabana. 
right? The Gemara is locked, the Gemara Tan Rabbanan. And Rav Nachman is walking by, and as he's walking by, he glances over and he sees that these guys are learning Masechtas the Dharam. So he looks and he goes, there's no Tan Rabbanan in Masechtas the Dharam. And he continued walking. <laughs> so that was the story. And somebody came to Rechaim and was telling this to Rechaim, like, you should know, this is the story. And he told him the whole story. So Rechaim closed his eyes. He's like, like, chazring the whole homosexuals in the Dharam. And he goes, he goes, he's right. He says, but it does say, dit on Rabbanah. That was Rechaim. It does say, dit on Rabbanah. And Daf Bamagimel, it does say, dit on Rabbanah. We can't even fathom what that means. You can't even fathom, you can't not fathom what they mean. They have everything right in front of your brain. But 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 again, I want to go back to what I said in the beginning. That's I don't think that's we're gonna be munned for that. Because that's such a high level, it's not even relatable to like who we are. But I, I, I will say though that I think that within our own lives, they're gonna mun us for not being good daughters, good wives, good mothers. That's what they're gonna mun us for. The same way he knew his malacha, the same way he knew his gemara, and it wasn't just gemara, it was literally everything. Sephra, Sephri, Medrash, he knew everything. Baal because he put in the time to study his avayda, to know this thing. There's no breaking here. This is an emergency, and this is an emergency. Yeah, you know what else is an emergency? Tysus is an emergency. That's how he viewed life. Everything in life came secondary to what he had over here. His Rebetzin, by the way, came before everything. If Reb Chaim was ever learning and the Rebetzin came into the room and he noticed her, he would open, what does the Rebetzin need? He would stop in a heartbeat. What does the Rebetzin need? Always. That, that was like part of his, part of his, his DNA, that the Rebetzin always came first. But she always knew that his learning always came first. It was a beautiful partnership that they created. We're not going to be munned for, be, for not becoming him, and we're not going to be munned for not becoming her. You're not going to have to say the whole Tehillim three times a day, breakfast, you know, breakfast, lunch, and supper, and Dhamma Chakra, Shmachamayr. It's not what they're going to mun us for. They're going to mun us for not becoming us, for not maximizing our day, and for doing the things in our life that, that, that we are, you know, supposed to be doing. And what I find, I got a lot of pushback on this once when I said it, but I still think I'm right because whatever. Um, and I would encourage people to take this to heart is that within our lives, if a person does the same thing over and over and over, there's a tendency to burn out. Even, you know, I teach chasanim, my wife teaches kalas, like so many times we say like, every chasan is different, every kala is different, so there's a modification of the teaching, but if you teach the same topic four nights in a row, like on the fourth night, you're like, you know, like, okay, again, start from the beginning. You're like, you know, like sometimes it gets like, you're doing the same thing over and over and over, there's like a lot of repetition, you can start to burn out. If you're sitting with couples, it's like again, again, again. It's like, so, so part of it is you ease off. And part of it is you have your sicha miyuta. Like you do speak a little bit and you, you do have your social life and you do get out a little bit. But I think that there's another key here, which is that you switch gears. If you switch gears in, in your life, if you have different things that you have going on which are meaningful to you, I think that's one of the greatest ways to really become great at life. If you're a person who can push through 10, 12, 15, 18 hours a day doing the exact same thing, then good for you. Ashracha. Like, you'll become the next Rebison Kanievsky. If you could just sit and say Tehillim for 14 hours a day, then, then good for you. But if you can't, and you have your three, your four, your five things that, like, give you Sipa, 
I daven, I feel good. I went to work, I'm, pro- I'm providing for my family, I feel good. I took this course and I feel good. I drove or I called this person. Like you find your things, whether it's in the world of chachma or chesed or family or, or community. Like you find your things, your three or four or five things, and then you switch gears and they're all very different. Then you, you'll find that you'll actually feel alive in multiple ways throughout your day. If it's very monotonous, then you're, you oftentimes you, you, it starts to get stale. It's like sitting in a chair all day, you start to get stiff. You're walking around all day, your feet start to hurt. If you mix it up a little bit, you sit a little bit, you stand a little bit, you can go a very long time. You know what I'm saying? If a person mixes up whatever they have going in their life, if they first, let, let's go slow, if they first find their calling and then they consistently do their calling and then they mix up their various callings, a person can really live a life where they're feeling greatness in, in your own way, becoming an expert in your own field. And I'll just end with one small thought, which struck me many, many, many years ago. When I was learning in Eretz Stral, I learned by Rabbi Yisrael Berkowitz. And what I was like sort of looking up at all these people who are becoming, whether it was speakers or Rabbanim or Dayanim or Paiskim or communal, whatever it was, I realized that in the world of quote-unquote Rabbanim, there's a whole smorgasbord of different types of Rabbanim. Not every Rav deals with this. Not every Rav deals with that. Not every Rav is a great speaker. Not every Rav is a great Paisic. Different Rabbanim, you know, some people are everything. But very few people are everything. There's usually, you know, most people have their, their, you know, specific thing that they're very, very good at. And then their secondary thing and the third thing. But not everybody's everything. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I wonder if somebody becomes an expert in Kriya. Like what that guy would become in life. And I was like trying to visualize this. I know it's a weird thought, but like just visualize it for a second. Man, somebody becomes like literally the world's expert in Kriya, right? The world needs an expert in Kriya, right? That guy will be able to help children that are struggling with reading. That guy will be able to put out videos, self, self-help videos, tips and tricks, 49 ways to say shvanon, shvanach, you know what I'm saying? To know the difference. In this. Like that guy can literally build an empire on becoming an expert in something that most people don't even think about for more than a second in their life. If you become an expert in something, the world will utilize you. The world will lean on you in whatever area it is, literally in whatever area it is. Because we, we go through our lives and a lot of people were like, I don't know, I'm just trying to survive or I'm just trying to get through the day. At least if we stop trying to survive and we start to like thrive and become like really good at something, the world will, the world will need you. I just met with somebody. I'll end with this. I just met with somebody who he's in the world of accounting. And he told me, he said, oh, you should know. Like, I happen to be, like, the world's expert on, and he's, like, said something. I was like, I don't know what that is. And I, I'm an accountant for a very long time. I, and he's like, I know most people don't know about this, but, like, in this world, like, in this knach of, like, the finance world, like, I'm, like, people from all over the place, they call me for this specific thing. I was like, sounds very exciting. Like, I don't even know what that is. And he was explaining it to me, and I was like, yeah, you became an expert. This is, like, my shita. Like, you become an expert in whatever it is, the world will find you because the world will need that. You become a 1031 expert, the world will need you. You become an expert in like not-for-profits, for governmental, whatever, HUD properties, the world will need you. Whatever that, whatever that means, even if you don't know what that means, the world will need you. You become great at making logos, the world will need you. Like you always, if you become really good at something and you're proficient in it and you spend many, many hours honing your skill, the world will need you and the world will find you. And when the world finds you, you'll find that you feel very, very much alive. If you feel alive, feeling life, that's the key. But it only comes about by putting in real time. Nobody, and here's a rule, nobody achieved anything meaningful by mistake. Nobody, ever. 
you can take that to the bank. There was sometimes they discovered things, a mistake. Yeah, the beginning of something, right? A guy discovered he had a Hershey bar in his pocket. He walked by something and it melted and he discovered microwave. Okay, very nice. It's very nice. Great. He discovered microwave, you know, waves, right? Very nice. You don't have a microwave in your house because of that. You have a microwave in your house because of the thousands upon thousands of research and development hours that was put into this and the millions and billions of dollars that went into the, the microwave industry to make it the standard household item. It was not easy. Maybe the discovery was by mistake, but whatever that was, there was so much time and effort that needed to go into making that thing a standard thing the world knew about it. And that's the key. Nothing happens by mistake. And if you're willing to put in the time and the effort to not live a mediocre life, to live a life that has meaning and real purpose, that you feel life, you feel alive, then the power is in your hands. Just do it. Find that thing. Find that two things. Make sure you're spinning your wheels enough times that you're able to actually feel alive. And if a person does that, they're living life. Just go You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.